guys? We're going to do podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Before we start the show today, I just wanted to briefly talk about how I will be going independent with my coverage of Houston Rockets. And I know I already tweeted it, but I wanted to talk about it here. Essentially, I'm not going to be working for a network anymore. I'm going to be working for myself. I have to find new ways to monetize my work. And that starts with the newsletter I just launched, rednationoops.com. It's a paid newsletter. You get six posts a month, four articles, one Q&A, and one premium episode of the Red Nation News Podcast. So you subscribe to this newsletter, you get an extra episode of the show. It's a nice way for you, the listener, to help me out on this new venture. And if you just want to subscribe for free, you get two free articles a month. It's just a nice way to support the show because I do want to keep the show free moving forward. I think I owe that to the listeners. So if you want to support the show, the best way you can do so is getting a subscription at rednationnoops.com. There's going to be other ways I'm going to monetize this podcast, but that is a nice starting point. And that's where we're going to end things. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the show today. And we are back, joined by Craig Ackerman of AT&T Sportsnet. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? And oh, by the way, congratulations and best of luck to you and uh, your new venture. Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, so I was watching a Rockets game last week as you and Ryan Hollins got into like the millionth argument about how he thought you and Kaylee were rigging the poll questions. And it hit me like, man, it's it's been a while since Craig came on the show. And then I went back and checked. And indeed, it has. The last time you were on the show was October 3rd. And we were discussing our biggest takeaways from Rockets training camp. That was six months ago, before wow. the season started. And that gave me an idea. So we talked before the season, and now we're talking at the end of the season. It's April 2nd at the time of this recording. There's only four games left in the season. This is a great opportunity to evaluate the Rockets season. So, Craig, I have one simple question to you to open it up. Was this Rockets season a success? Uh, I think so. Um and I believe that one of the topics that we referenced when we chatted initially six months ago was that this season was about the growth and development of the young players. Um, anybody who had any sort of uh, legitimate ob- objective view going into this year knew that's what the season was all about. Everybody knew with this young and this inexperienced of a group that wins were going to be tough to come by. Obviously, that has proven to be true, but that's not what the season was about anyway. It was about the growth and development of all of these young players. And you look at players like Jalen Green and Josh Christopher and Shingoon and Kevin Porter Jr. and so on and so forth. That The season was about seeing who they were, how they would ultimately improve as the season has gone along. And I think you can pretty much say without a doubt that there has been significant growth and improvement of the young players, which provides a lot of excitement moving forward and into the future for this team. And so, yes, I think from that perspective, based on what the season was all about to begin with, yes, it has been a success. I agree. And I actually have three reasons why I think it was a success. And I asked you to come up with your own if you thought it was a success or not. So, so Craig, give me your number one reason for why Houston had a successful season, and then we'll go back and forth with this. And I have a feeling we have the same number one, but I want to hear if we do. Well, the last two months of Jalen Green, um, you know, obviously he got off to um, a slow start, um, a very, at times, ragged start to his NBA career. There were some flashes every once in a while um, for the first several months of the season. And the one that obviously jumps out at you was that early game against Boston where he just went off. Um, but, and then he had the hamstring injury and he was, and then he came back from that, but things, the light has come on for Jalen green since the first of February. And look, this is the player that everybody was, when you draft somebody as high as you did second overall in the draft, this was the kind of talent that you were hoping to pick up and get when you, ended up drafting somebody number two overall. And Jalen Green has certainly proven that he was the right selection at number two uh, and that he has just literally exploded onto the scene with his play over the last uh, two months. And um, he could be, uh, without a doubt, um, a franchise cornerstone moving forward. And so to me, that's, that's number one. Jalen Green, without a doubt, you needed him to be the guy he's become. You absolutely, the franchise absolutely needed this, and they've gotten it. And uh, and I think that that really will make things, in terms of this 
this this build, this rebuild, this growth process moving forward uh, that much easier because he has developed so, so nicely over the course of the season. Yeah, this was a no-brainer. I had Jalen Green, too. And if you really want to compare the difference between last year's team and this year's teams, I think the best place to start is the last quarter of the season. And I think I talked with you about this this summer, uh, but watching the last stretch of Rockets games last year was a miserable experience for me. Like, it just, it wasn't just that they were a bad team. It was that they were a bad team without a foundation. Like, I didn't feel like I was learning anything. And we just said that the Rockets are a rebuilding team. The key word there is building. And you can't build anything until you have a foundation to build it on. Uh, like, sure, the Rockets had some decent young talent last season, like Kevin Porter Jr., K.J. Martin, Jay Sean Tate. Like, these are all intriguing pieces. But I don't, I don't think any of them were really foundational players. And you know how it goes in the NBA. You can have as interesting of a roster as you want. But until you get at least one foundational player to bring it all together... None of it matters. So that's how I felt about Houston last year. Everything here is easily expendable until they get a cornerstone talent. And that's what Jalen Green is. If that wasn't clear before, he's made it pretty clear this week. He's a cornerstone talent. This is what he's averaging post-All-Star break, by the way. Uh, 21 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. He's cut the turnovers to 1.5 per game. And he's averaging a steal per game. And he's doing all this on 58% true shooting. His confidence is, as an all, is at an all-time high right now. And to me, that's the biggest difference. His confidence shooting the basketball, aggression driving to the rim, his un- unwillingness to back down when he gets to the rim. There are times when I watch him, and it almost looks like he's gliding in the half court. Like He's very much like a classic shooting guard in that he loves that left-to-right crossover, especially when he's driving to the basket. And it looks so smooth and effortless, and sometimes he'll do that. And the defense will react in time and close off the basket and instead of free, freezing up like he was earlier in the season. He, he'll just pull up from two. And, and I got to imagine John Lucas and that coaching staff is like, yes, Jalen, yes, that's exactly what you should do. Take what the defense is giving you and do the best you can. Like, you've already created this seam. The defense is on its heels. Do something with it. You could go for a floater. You could kick it out to a shooter. Hell, if your big is in position, you could throw it to him for a lob. And it seems like he settled into this pull-up J being his counter in that situation. And that's great. It's awesome that he's developed a comfort shot like that. I mean, the guy just looks like a future all-star right now. One could make the case that alone makes the season a success. I would argue they have more reasons to say it's a success, but that's a compelling argument to me. You know, they didn't have any foundational players before, and now we know for sure that they, ha- they at least have one. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct on on the points that you made. When you go from a – look, last year was a transitional season. It just it just is what it was. I mean, you, you initially traded James Harden and everything to fall out uh, from that, then the losing streak, and then at the end of the season they went – they they fully committed to giving minutes to the young and inexperienced players last year. That was a transitional season. That was sort of uh, wasn't it was sort of uh, year zero, if you will, in terms of a rebuild. But this is truly year one of the rebuild. And you're absolutely correct. And ultimately, if you're going to make the jump from a rebuilding team to an emerging team to a playoff team to a legitimate contending team, you have to have a foundational player on your roster. If you don't. Frankly, nothing else matters in the NBA because one player, just this nature of the sport, makes all the difference, all of the difference in the world. And ultimately, to legitimately compete for a championship, you have to have one or multiple players that are considered amongst the 15 or 20 best players in the league in any given season to have a chance to really consider yourself um, a contender. And so, yes, I mean, he has... Absolutely, he has proven that he has the the chops and the talent uh, and the mentality to be a foundational piece for this team moving forward. And again, that's not what you had coming out of last season. Frankly, it wasn't what the team had initially at the start of this season either, but they certainly have it now. And after that, once you get that, the re- now it's not easy. It's still not easy to continue to take these steps moving forward because look there are tons of really good players in the league but many of them are not true foundational pieces so there's still other steps that have to be taken from this point forward but it looks like they they have that here in Jalen Green again that's what you were hoping that you would get 
when you were drafting that high. And uh, the rest of this process, although, again, difficult um, and not a guarantee, um, should be made a tad bit easier because you already have that foundational piece moving forward. And so, I, again, I, I, his growth, his development, uh, the last two months have been incredible from that perspective. And I think with that, and if you, even if you just strip away everything else, there is significant hope for the future for the organization because of Jalen Green's development this season. Yeah, I mean, this, la- this last week in particular is just insane. I mean, three straight 30-point games for a-, a 20-year-old is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. On efficient shooting, too. It's not like he's just chunking the ball up. All of these games are like 55% true shooting plus on a tear from three-point range. And, you know, it almost feels like a regression to the mean. Like, it felt like he started off the year shooting, like, unsustainably poor. And now that's kind of come back around, and now we're seeing more of, like, what Jalen is actually as a shooter. Like, before the All-Star break, he was, like, in the low 50s in true shooting percentage, and now he's in the mid-50s. Like, that's an insane correction. Uh, The three-point shooting is back to, like, just below league average. Like, he was, like, in, like, the late late 20s. He was, like, 29% or something from three. Now he's, like, 34%, which is crazy. Like, that, that kind of stretch is nuts. It's basically what Anthony Edwards did last year. And what Anthony Edwards did last year was like historic. Like we, we usually don't see that kind of course correction, but Jalen Green did it, man. He did it. He looks like, I mean, pretty soon, I mean, we're going to have to have conversations about him potentially making an all-star team, maybe as soon as next season or the year after. That's how good he's looked this week in particular. I, it's just, I mean, I, I did not think he'd put it together this quickly. Yeah, handle, his handle has improved. Uh, defensively, he's improved. Um, as you mentioned, the turnovers down, decision making, all of it. I, a lot like Jalen, he came in right with the reputation of having um, an insane work ethic. So, uh, first and foremost, the young man deserves the credit for staying with it all season long and improving. But the Rockets coaching staff, I think, deserves a ton of credit as well. John Lucas, in particular, who was tirelessly worked with him throughout the course of the season. Um, one, of the, one of the primary things that they worked on throughout the year was quickening his release on his threes. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I would watch John Lucas feed Jalen Green the ball, and initially the count was he wanted him to get it off one-two, 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 and then one-two changed into one. Um, because in this league, getting off a shot quickly is so very important with the athletes that you have. And all of that work that the coaches have put in with him, and then Green obviously has put in uh, himself, uh, has really, really paid off. And it just he seems like he's, he's, he's a very confident um, young man, a very charismatic young person. Um, seems like he has all of the ingredients that you would want in a player to represent himself and your organization, and to ultimately start winning games uh, in the future. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very um, excited about it. Um, obviously, I think there was a little bit of concern with the way that his um, rookie season started from the standpoint that when you are selected that high, there are significant expectations on these players to get it done um, right away. Um, but, man, man, again, credit to Jalen, credit to the coaches, um, I'm again, we only have four games left in this season, but, uh, part of me wants to kind of, kind of get, uh, go ahead and, you know, fast forward to, uh, to October <laughs> and get next season started again to see what, what, what they have in store. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And I think Rockets fans should be as well. And you mentioned how his handles improved. It's still not like all the way there yet either, which is crazy. Like I saw him lose the ball last night. Like he has so many areas to still improve as a scorer, as an efficient scorer, much less the other areas of his game, like the defense, the playmaking, and he's already this good. Like that's, I don't know, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous that this turnaround happened so fast that we're talking about him having three straight thirty-point games in his rookie season on efficient on efficient shooting. Again, like I, I hate to keep bringing that up, but the efficiency really here really here is key. Like I think it, it's the main reason he's having this stretch yeah it, it, it's it's all, all around it's it's super impressive it's super impressive and he and he can still get a lot better obviously it's just he's still super young um, and remember guys make huge jumps or at least theoretically players make huge jumps 
basically in their first and second off seasons that they're in the league. So he's about to hit his, his first um, off season after playing a full season uh, in the league. And again, with his reputation as a worker um, and as someone who is dedicated to getting better. Uh, yeah. Um, very much looking forward to next season with, with Jalen Green. Okay, Craig, give me your second, your second reason for why this season is a success. Well, um, I'll promise you too. Um, we had the exact same first two. We had the exact same first two. Yeah, we talked about this in, in, in October as well. Uh, you know, when I went down to training camp and had a chance to watch them in their first practices, and it was so evident how good he was um, right off the bat. Like, oh, my God, like, this guy's legit. Um, I, we're, we're gonna, I know you're gonna, we're probably going to get in a little bit of a draft conversation here shortly, and, and, and I always preface this where it's probably the weakest area of my game, if you will, um, prospect evaluation, um, until they get into the league. And so um, it's tough for me to sort of project and evaluate guys who are playing collegiately in the U.S. to then try to figure out how a guy who I've never seen before is playing internationally, how he'll translate into the league. Um, I can tell you right now that I really don't have any clue about that until I see them actually get into the NBA. But the moment I saw Shingun on the floor in training camp, I was like, wow, this guy is really really good and he has not disappointed went went through a stretch in the middle of the season where I do think that he hit a bit of a a rookie wall uh for sure um he had never um and I, even though they were um managing his minutes in playing time very carefully um he had never been in a situation obviously and none of these young guys ever are where you play this much with all the travel and so on and so forth, and everything that go and the games just keep coming and coming and coming. I also think the scouting caught up with him a little bit. I feel like the team's kind of, he wasn't a surprise anymore. Yeah, that too. I think that too, and a little bit of a rookie wall. But then he came out of it, right? Um, and I, I think he, um, now, what is ultimately his position and fit moving forward? I think that is uh, a question mark. Is he, is he truly a five? Is he more of a four? And then ultimately, what are the kind what kinds of players do you need to surround him with to maximize his skill set moving forward? I still think there are a lot of questions there, but for uh, uh, the youngest kid on the team, um, won't be 20 until the end of July. Um, for someone who, again, everybody just saw that he basically was dominating the Turkish league, um, and most people had never set eyes on him before, didn't know a whole lot about him. To see who he was right off the bat and what he currently is, and another player that has an incredible work ethic and infectious personality and um, a desire to do the right things, to make winning plays, to be someone who will, will ultimately seems to be more interested in uh, what can I do to help this team win as opposed to inflate my own personal numbers. Um, I, Revelation. I mean, what in, and look, there were many people in the Rockets front office who thought he was a top four talent in the draft. And I think they were very right on that. And it's this player who the Rockets attempted to trade up for multiple times. They tried to pick him up earlier in this last draft and they actually got him in that trade with Oklahoma city, but thankfully they did. Uh, thankfully Rafael Stone in the front office um, stayed um, very vigilant on the Shingun uh, pursuit and uh, I'm and very bullish on him and his future as well. Yeah, I, I I'd heard they talked to up to ten teams before they pulled the trigger with Oklahoma City. Like it, it was, they were super aggressive. It wasn't just like oh, uh, we, this deal came together with Oklahoma City last minute. Like no, they they had they targeted this guy. Like this is a guy they wanted yeah. specifically, yeah. and uh, they, they 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 got him. And and credit to them, he looks. I mean, it's incredible that we got the first, the same first two answers. By the way, I was actually going to mention Shangun, and I was expecting you to roll your eyes because, like, I, I I've been oh, gushing no, no, about no. the guy. Yeah, I mean, I've been gushing about this guy for like the past seven months, and like, I feel like the listeners at this point are probably tired of it. But listen, I was completely shocked when OKC traded him away, and I thought he was a guaranteed starter in the NBA with the potential for more, and he's shown flashes of being a, a future star himself and maybe not as much as green but he's been in such a tough position playing backup center to christian wood 
for the majority of the season, but enough to where I'm looking back at that trade as an absolute win for Houston. Now, listen, it could still be a win for OKC. I'm skeptical, but as I said before, they traded away two mystery boxes, and it could it would be disingenuous to say that for sure, either way, um, those first-round picks are going to be good or not. We're just too far out. But the fact that he's already secured a rotation spot and sparked this conversation as to whether or not he should be starting is extremely impressive. It's extremely impressive. Like, I thought there was a possibility that he'd be in the G League to start the year until he got comfortable. And then and then maybe he'd, he'd become backup center towards the end of the year. No, he started there was, the year. There was, let me tell you something. After I saw him in training camp the first week, I knew right away there was absolutely zero chance he would be in the G League. He's, I knew he was way, he is way, way too good for that. And obviously that's proven to be the case over the course of the season. Absolutely. And by the way, you weren't the only person to say that. Multiple people told me that that, that day, you know, where Shangun just, just tore it up in training camp, the same thing. They were just shocked. They were just shocked that this guy was as good as he was, that he was throwing the passes that he was throwing. Uh, some guys weren't ready for passes. Like that, that's just the kind of player he is, man. Like, it's deceiving. He's only like six nine. Uh, he's this goofy looking European dude, right? And you wouldn't expect him to be this freaking good, but he is that freaking good. And it surprised almost all of his teammates. I remember going back to the press conference at the, of the Rockets draft. Uh, Shangun was basically in his own his own little corner, and Jalen Green and uh, and Josh Christopher were sitting next to each other. And like, I don't think either of those guys had ever seen a minute of the dude play. Like I, I don't think no, up no until chance. that point. There's, no, there's absolutely no zero chance. But yeah, zero chance. But obviously, he was there with his translator, and like he didn't speak English. Like he, he was still learning his English, obviously. And man, he's picking up everything super fast. Not just the game, the language. I mean, like in the middle of interviews, like he'll like answer before his translator translates the question. So he he's picking up on everything really quick. Uh, it's super impressive. It's super fun. His game is super infectious with energy. I'm having a great time watching him play basketball, man. Yeah, it's, he's been so much fun. I mean, the passing is truly insane. It's truly ridiculous. He's got, he's got incredible chemistry in particular with K.J. Martin. Um, now, again, as I said earlier, I, I think there still are long-term, you know, it, it, for instance, if he were two inches taller, right, I don't think any of these questions would be there. But ultimately, can you know, um, can he effectively long-term, is he a five, is he a four? Exactly who is he going to be three or four years from now? I, I still think there are some questions as to what his exact fit on a team is going to be. And I think, honestly, and I just made this point, more importantly, who are what is the, what is the type of player that you need to surround him with to – um, uh, sort of cover up some of his weaknesses and and, and also um, help him, you know, help with his strengths as a player. And so I, I think there's still, again, there's still some question marks with him uh, moving forward again, as there are with uh, with a lot of young players. But from what we've seen from Shingun already as a 19-year-old, again, the fact that one can only imagine, right, the, the I remember when I left home my freshman year to go to college and I was only four hours away and how initially it was a pretty difficult transition being away from home, but I could always just get into a car and drive back. Right. I mean, he lives halfway around the world and to not know the language and to come into a new country and a new culture. And he lands in New York city. Like the, the first place he lands is like where there's like literally everything, everything, everything right. about America. He lands in the biggest city on the planet. Yeah, and so I think anybody who comes from those kinds of situations, especially somebody so young, right? I mean, so young. Um, I, again, credit to him for literally sort of hitting the ground um, running. He, has, he is a unique talent. There is no question about it. Um, and another thing, his teammates just seem to, to love him. I mean, they just they seem to love him. They've really grown attached uh, to him as he has with his, his teammates. Um, he's somebody who loves the game. And I think that's important um, as well. There are a lot of guys in this league who are really, really talented, but I don't know if they're necessarily in love with the sport. He's in love with the sport. And so I think 
he is another one who will ultimately continue to work um, to get better. Um, and he was a he was just an absolutely terrific find, no question about it. Yeah, I remember when for, when someone first mentioned that I should watch Shangun in preparation for the draft last year, and then I saw this dude make a behind the back pass in the middle of the paint. And it's like, that's like one of the most dangerous areas, not a behind the back pass, just a behind the back dribble. Like he, he, dr- he dribbled behind his back in the paint. Like it's one of the most dangerous areas of the floor to do like fancy ball handling stuff. And he's like s- six foot nine and he's doing this kind of stuff. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I, j- I just got glued. I got sucked in. I got sucked into this BSL tape and it, it was fun. It was super fun. But yeah, I, Shangun is absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest reasons this season is success for the Rockets. Uh, and uh, the fact that they got two guys just 13 months after they traded James Harden, uh, two two guys who could potentially be part of their core moving forward already is incredible. Uh, Craig, what's your number three? Well, I'll say losing sucks. Um, losing is tough on everybody. Um, We're about to have the same top three. We're about to have the same oh, top do. three. I can, I, I, can, I can already tell. Okay, losing fans obviously – don't like it. But if you think it's hard on fans, then you should see what it's like on the front office and the coaches and the players. Losing is hard. Losing at times has a tendency to reinforce bad habits. I think the reason why the season has been a success is because the coaching staff has continued to keep their eyes focused on what matters, which is the future. And they've convinced the players on the team of the same thing to continue to work, to continue to, for the lack of a better uh, phrase, um, you know, keep, keep their eyes on the process of improving and getting better and developing. And um, even with all the losing and there have been some very low moments this season, there is no question about that. There has been some extremely frustrating times over the course of this season, but I think the staff has kept the players focused on the right things. And I, I hate, I hate using the word culture. I, I really do. Um, I just think it's just overused. Um, but the, they, they've kept them focused on the right things this season, despite the losses. Cause trust me, the players realize it's going to be, this is young team, right? Inexperienced team. They realize, I mean, they, they, they pay enough attention to the league. It's hard to win when you, when you're young and you're inexperienced, they, they know this. Um, but I think they've, they've, stayed focused on what matters, which is their individual growth and development and ultimately the team's growth and development. And so that, for that reason, I do think the season has been a success. Okay. never mind. Okay. I, I thought you, I thought you were headed in a different direction there. Oh, and I was okay. actually surprised. I, and I was actually surprised you were headed in that direction, but I, I guess I can talk about it, but I'm not sure if you can. They're about to secure a top draft pick again in this draft. And, and that, oh, you know what? That, I mean, that, that, hey, look, look, look. That's incredibly important too. There's no you, you, you're going to add another extremely high end talent um, at uh, at at a very team friendly uh, contract that you ultimately um, control um, the future of for multiple years. Um, yes, that is incredibly incredibly important. But to me, uh, and I guess you're right on some level. I, I can't necessarily get into that per se. And it is important, but to me, I think again, keeping the, these, these guys entertained and focused and, um, and um, just sort of loose throughout the course of the season and not to dwell on the losing as much has been a feather in the cap of the coaches. And I guess this is probably something that, most people don't necessarily see because they're not around the team a lot, but uh, I think that's been a big focus of the coaching staff this year to have them just to continue to try to work and uh, accentuate the positives over the course of the season and not, you know, again, losing gets everybody down. Losing causes you to not try to want to get up the next day and continue to grind but I think they've kept the players focused on that. So, but go ahead, you can you can go ahead and make your point because it is very important. <laughs> no, I, I actually do. I, I'm glad that you made this point because it does blend very well into my last point. In that they're losing for sure, but the players and the coaching staff are not trying to lose, and, and I don't think the front office intended for them to be bad either. It just you know that's kind of was the natural direction for them to go, and 
like they're they're all trying extremely hard to win basketball games. They're all trying uh, their best to you know put forth their best effort, and like that that co- credit to the coaching staff throughout throughout all this losing, they have managed to keep that locker room upbeat and joyful and ready to learn. And it's not like earlier in the season where like they were losing a crap ton of games. It looked like they might have. They were on the verge of breaking last season's losing record, losing streak record. That that locker room felt legitimately down, but this locker room does not feel the same way. And I think that's that's partly because Steven Silas and John Lucas and everybody in that coaching staff has has set the right vibe. And I think that vibe matters, especially towards player development, because it's hard to learn when you don't want to learn, when you're just really tired of the losing. And they've done a good right. job of keeping everybody in check and you know, ready to go to work every day. No, there's, yep. There's no question. Cause again, losing, losing is hard on everybody, especially the coaches and especially the players. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's, be, it's about the work. It's about the development. It's about staying focused on all of that. And even through it all, again, kind of as the season has gone on, a lot of these guys, have gotten better as the season has gone along. So um, whatever it is that, that, that they're continuing to, 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 to do to inject the vibe, as you talked about, I think that's probably a better word than using the term culture because I just think it's just incredibly <laughs> overused. So is the term process, but I'm, sometimes you just can't come up with, with other words. But vibe, vibe is good. Um, they've, they, they've, uh, they, they, they've kept the vibes immaculate, if you will. Um, uh, oh, my with, God. With this young... <laughs> with this young team, and so uh, yeah, I think that's that's a, a reason for for it to to be a success. But yes, uh, landing another potential foundational cornerstone piece um, is also incredibly important because you can't win if you don't have high end talent. Period. Not, 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 again, going back to what we initially were talking about, none of none of this really matters if you don't have that. So. Um, um, it is it is very important that they will potentially get their uh, be able to draft um, another high end talent or two uh, in this draft to add to this this young core. And these losses don't feel like last year's losses, right? Like these losses are like super competitive, and they're trying towards like the entire game, the entire fourth quarter. These aren't blowout losses. They're they're just. They're just falling short at the end, like the execution, the stuff that young players are supposed to be bad at, which is a good thing. Like they're they're a lot of the time they're leading in the third quarter and they just kind of let go of the rope in the fourth, which is like, hey, that's what young teams do. Sometimes young teams can't finish games and that's fine. As long as as long as you see that there's a process there, as long as you see that they're hanging on. And that they're showing signs of improvement. It, it it definitely looks like a team that's added four first round picks, right? That's what it looks like when I watch the Rockets. It looks like a, t- a team that's had an infusion of talent, and they've gotten better. And the players that were here last year have gotten better, and that's all super important to note. But I'm, getting back to the, the the draft point, yes, that is my third point. Like the fact that they're going to be able to secure a top pick in this next year's draft is super important when you look at especially their situation with Oklahoma City uh, and the picks they're going to have to give up moving forward. The fact that they're able to secure top-end picks this early is extremely important because you don't know if you're going to be able to do that later on. You might not be able to, but the and, and the fact that you're able to secure all these picks right now, uh, so by the time you're in that, you're collecting those Brooklyn picks, you know, those late, those later Brooklyn picks, you know, perhaps you're in that range of Brooklyn, whatever Brooklyn's record is, and it looks like you're just getting your own picks back, right? So it, it is one of those things where, like, that's absolutely part of how I view their season. The fact that they did all they they got their foundational talent. They might have gotten a second one in Shengun, and they're about to get a third one in this upcoming draft, right? And I guess I I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about the, the top of this draft. So, have you got a ch- how much college basketball have you got a chance to watch? Uh, you know what? Um, I, and I, anytime any I'm ever asked about this, um, I tell people very little. Um, uh, I, I, obviously, once the NBA, se- I mean, I, I am so focused on the Rockets in the NBA season that I frankly don't have enough mental energy to also continue to try to focus on 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 college basketball and you know, and in, in particular who is or who is not amongst 
the best uh, prospects in the draft. Um, I also, quite frankly, enjoy the NBA game exponentially more so Same. Um, than a college game. I, I, and I've, I've made this point before in the past. I'll make it again. Um, I, I, I always tip my cap to scouts in front offices um, because I don't know how under most circumstances, they're able to try to project college players in the NBA. Because I think the college game, it's a different sport. It's like a totally different sport. And the, t- the two, like, I don't know, maybe it's because I don't spend as much time. I'm not involved in it. I, I often, I tend to, just from watching, I tend to think, even though the college football game is different from the NFL in, in many ways, um, I, I, it's, to me, it seems like it, it's a little bit easier to kind of, um, the two are more um, uh, connected than, in my opinion, than college basketball and the NBA. So I, I, I tend to think college basketball is way too over manipulated by coaches, which yeah. it makes it very difficult, in my opinion, to project certain players to the next level because I think certain players, many players in college basketball, are hamstrung by the rules, <clears throat> by the court dimensions, and by the systems that are being played in the college game, even though I think that has changed a lot in recent years in the college game. I just don't think the two sports are all that aligned. Um, And I think that's why there's been a pretty significant push by the NBA and perhaps even more. I mean, they might continue to keep pushing to try to get the truly elite talents into a professional system sooner rather than later, because it is easier to translate that from one or the other. But so now, again, long story short, I, I don't watch, um, I don't watch a ton uh, of college basketball. So if there is one area that I'm asked about when it comes to this sport that frankly I'm weak at, it's trying to project college players and inter- especially international players uh, to, to the next level. No, I'm, it's not. It's not the strongest point of my game either. I, I think that's the, the terminology you used, right? Like it, it's. It's definitely one of those things where, like, last year was the first time I ever had to do it on a professional level, right? Otherwise, it's been a long time, do- right? I mean, the rock for like a yeah. decade, I haven't really had to do that, right? No, no, absolutely not. And because they were, they were so good for so long, and it's like, okay, I I guess I'll just read up or watch highlights like a week or two before to study up on the draft, you know, just for fun, just for my own fun. Uh, and now I'm just having to watch like a month, two months, three months, uh, this year up to four months in advance, these prospects, uh, so I can get a good idea of how the, how things stand before the Rockets are up there uh, and, and selecting who they want to select. So like it's it's different. It's a new territory for me, but it, it is it is fun in that, yes, I don't enjoy the college game either. I, I completely agree with the point you made about college coaches having way too much control uh, the stars should be the players on the court, not the not the guys on the sideline. But whatever, that, that that's an entirely different conversation. Yeah, the the, um, the NBA is a players' league. College basketball is a coaches' league. Very strange, very strange, and oftentimes not the right coaches. My guy Calvin Sampson gets short sighted a lot. Uh, sorry, I'm it's my that's the that's the cougar in me coming out. He gets short sighted a lot in these conversations. That guy is legitimately one of the best coaches in college basketball. Doesn't have any elite prospect. He's a great guy, yeah. And I'm happy for him and the success of the Cougs. Yeah, the guy didn't have any elite prospects this year and made it to the Elite Eight again. Like, ridiculous. Ridiculous. He does this year in and year out, just overachieves, makes the program better. Anyways, we're getting off topic. But (laughs) I I wanted to ask you about the top of the draft because – I've been I've been watching these top five guys very closely. Well, who, who's and, your top five? I guess because that that's still very much an unsettled group of people. So my top five, uh, I'm not going to rank them. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say who they are. Okay. I have Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Boncaro, uh, Jaden Ivey, and the fifth guy. It's gonna it's gonna vary depending on who you ask. I have Shaden Sharp. It's going to, it's going to, whoever you ask, they're going to give you a different answer because that's really the the point where the draft kind of coalesces and goes in a different direction. Right. But the, those, those top four guys in particular, I've been watching very closely because I, I think those guys are super talented. You know, I, I may not think they're as talented as perhaps the top of last year's draft, but I think they're very talented for like a regular draft and the Rockets are in position to take one of these dudes. So 
Let me ask you, Craig, looking at those top five guys, maybe not in relation to the Rockets, maybe just your own musings, like who who sticks out to you the most as a guy? It's like, man, I, I would really love that guy on my team. Uh, it's it's tough. Um, I'll start by saying that I ultimately do think that the Rockets um, need to get bigger. Um, I think that there, <clears throat> excuse me, has been a shift in the league over the last couple of seasons. Uh, you go back to when the Rockets were competing for championships, and it was all about how does anybody match up with the Golden State Warriors, right? Um, and what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there's been uh, more – I don't want to it, – it's not gone back to the traditional days, right, where um, back to the basket bigs um, are, the, are, the, are, the way, are the key to winning championships. It's not gone to that because the bigs in this league um, are much different than they used to be. They are far more perimeter-oriented than than they were but i think there has been a shift to um size really mattering uh at the highest levels um in this league and so i do think with that in mind and the rockets obvious need to improve defensively moving forward um uh, has to think a lot to do with 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 their lack of size now there's more to rim protection than just you know Having a rim protector, which again is extremely important. Rim protection starts, by the way, with stopping the ball, um, and that's something that the Rockets have to improve upon. Look, the offense. Obviously, there are areas the Rockets can improve offensively. They're basically the league average effective field goal percentage. Three point shooting um, has been a little inconsistent at times, but it's been good enough, especially um, as of late. They they got to cut down turnovers. That's not helping their cause. And again, there's room for growth offensively, but ultimately, if they're going to take another step forward, they can't be the worst defensive team uh, in the league. And I think rim protection and size and rebounding uh, matters um, in that department, especially when you look at the top of the MVP leaderboard. And again, these aren't traditional bigs, maybe more so with Embiid, but you've got Giannis, you've got Jokic, and uh, you've got Joel Embiid at at the top of the MVP uh, standings. The Bucks are the defending uh, NBA champions two years ago when the Lakers won in the bubble. You know, um, LeBron's a huge guy, but Anthony Davis had was really, really good for them during their run uh, to the title. So I think the Rockets do need to get bigger in that regard. And so to me, ultimately, I would look at, at, at somebody from my perspective um, who's a bigger player. And so, I, again, I could be completely off on this, but to me, of all the guys that you listed in the top five, I think the one that, and I don't know if the, or, the organization is probably still not in a position to draft for fit. They still probably should go out and get whoever they evaluate as the best talent at whatever draft slot that they're drafting, because ultimately that's still what this is about at this stage of this rebuild. But the top five got you guys, you listed Jabari Smith, probably the guy that I would, I would lean, but I, again, I think you could could make a case for Chet Holmgren, although his thinness and his body type worries me. Um, obviously, you can make a strong case for uh, Ben Carroll, who's the only member of that group who's still playing basketball. Um, so, but to me, of that group, I, I would probably lean um, probably lean Jabari Smith. I just think you know. Um, and I'm also, again, kind of thinking about, well, who, who, what's the best fit around Alperon Shingun? Obviously, he can spread the floor. He's rangy. He's switchable. He's lengthy. I think he does have a body type that he, as he gets older and matures, he can put on weight. He will put on weight and strengths. And so that, that's probably where I would lean uh, right right now. But uh, let's just be honest. I really don't have any idea what I'm talking about when it comes to this. <laughs> No, listen, you gave me a pretty good answer. You gave me what what you want the Rockets to, to target, right? And you gave me who you think fits that box, which is Jabari Smith. And that's a that's a pretty good guy to select, man. Like, here's the thing with this year's draft. I actually don't think there's a consensus number one this year. And I've changed my mind a little bit over the past couple of weeks in that a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was for sure Chet. But now the more and more I watch, it's like, Man, like honestly, I want to see every single one of these guys in a workout if I have the first pick overall. Like I, I, I gotta see, I gotta see Jabari, I gotta see Chet, 
I got to see Paulo. I, I, I got to see you with my own eyes up front. I want to I want to be really thorough about this before I select number one, because I don't think there's a consensus number one overall pick. And I don't think you can go wrong selecting any of these guys uh, is one of those things where like it's super scary to have one of these deciding picks and the deciding picks this year, I believe, are number one and number three. Uh, number one, obviously, picking who you think is going to be the best guy. And number three, picking between um, Jade and Ivy and whoever's left over from that top three. I, I, it's just super scary. It's super scary. Uh, personally, uh, I still lean Chet for right now, number one. And I think defense is definitely one of the big, biggest weaknesses for this Rockets team, as you said. Rebounding. Um, they're going to need some toughness. They're going to need some shooting. And I think the prospects that make the most sense there are Jabari and Chet. And those are obviously two very different prospects, but Mm -hmm. similar in that they provide both of those things. I think both of those players provide some defensive versatility. Both of those players provide size. Both of those players provide shooting. And and I think, I don't know, you can go wrong if you're Houston and you have a chance to draft one of those guys. Uh, I would be super scared about about, uh, passing on Paolo. And in that situation, I would be super scared, especially the way he's playing right now in the tournament. He's been ridiculous. But Yeah, he's been really uh, good. Yeah, but I think those two guys, right now, I still haven't done the deep dive yet. I'm going to do the deep dive once the Rocket season is over and I get the time to do it. What, I think of those guys, Jabari and Chet seem to be the best fits for Houston. But obviously, still need to watch these guys. That's a very important caveat. Still need to sit down, watch extensive amounts of film on these guys, and look m- more deeply into the numbers than I have. Um, but as of right now, that's kind of where I would lean. Defensively, you know, again, people talk about, again, rim protection, rim protection, rim protection. You don't necessarily have to have a, you know, it would be nice if, if you had a Rudy Gobert you know, that you could, you know, just drop back and have him just blot out the rim because he's so huge. But, you know, you look, look at the, the teams that defend the rim really well. Uh, in the league, um, the Warriors aren't all. This current group of Warriors aren't all that big. Kevon Looney is not an explosive rim protecting athlete. They stop the ball. Um, the Celtics have Robert Williams playing in the back, and obviously he oh. is an explosive athlete. But he's six eight. They stop the ball, right? I mean, the rim protection starts with not allowing players to drive um, and not turning it over too. That really helps. Oklahoma City's been good protector of the rim. Obviously, Utah is with Rudy Gobert, who is the preeminent rim protector. Um, Phoenix Suns do a good job of protecting uh, the rim. Obviously, Aiton's a big dude. The Magic are big. Um, the Bucks do it because they try. They they stop the ball, and then I still think the Bucks are the team. I think the Bucks, as long as Brook Lopez is right, I still think they're coming out of the East. Um, I just I I've never wavered off of that. I mean. Because Lopez is a huge dude, but he's not an explosive athlete. But they stop people, and then they have Giannis to clean everything else up. Um, and then Miami is a, r- a really good rim protection team. They're not a, they're not really big either, um, you know. Um, but they stop the ball. Um, Bam Adebayo is obviously a terrific athlete, but he's not all that big uh, in terms of his height. Um, but they stop the ball, and so I think it's it, well, it would be great to have a big guy planted back there. It's it's about not letting people get to the rim to begin with uh, in this league. And so um, to me, the, the, the issue with, with Chet is just I'm very concerned with his frame um, and not necessarily when it comes to potential future injuries, but he's very thin, like very, very thin. And, and, and I make this point. I don't know if many people. So you, you look at Alexei Pokushevsky with the Thunder, Right. They're basically the same, same size, I, almost identical. And Pokashevsky is only six months older than Chet Holmgren is. And he's been playing pro ball now for three-plus years in the NBA and overseas. And so I don't see his body type as one that puts on weight. Um, obviously, I think Chet's a far greater overall talent than he is, but that just that concerns me. But ultimately, I, I trust the Rockets' front office once they get him in for up close and personal workouts to make the correct evaluation on him on whether or not they think that translates uh, to the league. Cause I think it's a, it's, it can be a little bit of a, 
a, a tough sell. But I do think the Rockets have to get bigger. They just the way the game is going, they they have to get better to co- defensively, and they have to get bigger to compete. And those two guys up would fit that bill. Yeah, listen, I again, I have no problem with Jabari Smith being your guy. Like it's one of those, again, if you picked any three of these guys, I'm not going to be upset. And it, particularly these two guys for the Rockets specifically. I have no problem. I think these guys can if Chet both Holmgren achieve. Was what, if Chet Holmgren was 20 pounds heavier, I think he would be the clear number one overall pick. Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I look at Chet, and the reason I'm not so upset about the frame is find me someone who was on a star trajectory that had these weight concerns, that had the weight concerns be the reason they didn't reach that star trajectory, right? Like, I, I, I just try, I, I can't find it. I've I've thought about it. I've looked back in NBA history. Maybe you can say Porzingis, but even Porzingis, it was more like injuries that prevented him from being that. And right. perhaps you can right. say the injuries happened because he was frail. I don't necessarily agree with that. A lot of these injuries are knee injuries, right? So like, it's one of those things where like, are you really going to br- blame frailness on knee injuries? I don't know. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. I think I think most of these guys just generally add on weight. You know, like you you don't really see much guys in the NBA that are six years in and extremely skinny and just look exactly how they were uh, their rookie year. I, they tend to add on, you know, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle at the minimum. And I think that's kind of what I see for him. I think he's going to get bigger. I think he's get, he's extremely skilled, obviously. Uh, you and I don't dis- disagree there. Uh, he's fluid with the basketball. He doesn't look awkward with the basketball. I think he may look awkward just standing around, right? Because he hunches a little bit. But when he when he's when he has the basketball in his hands, and when he's playing defense, uh, he he's extremely effective. Like, and when he he's running down the floor with him, I mean, he's fast. He he can handle the basketball, and man, that guy has great footwork. I don't know. I I I just have it. It'd be really tough for me to pass on him. It'd also be really tough for tough for me to pass on Jabari because that guy is a sniper. And that guy can shoot the basketball. Like most of the shots I've seen him, you know, obviously he hasn't gotten played. He hasn't got to play much of the tournament. But like watching Chet and watching Jabari, most of the shots that he's making are extremely contested. Like he's he's hitting extremely contested three pointers because everybody knows he's a shooter, and he's still hitting them at a ridiculous clip. And he's hitting a, like a high volume of them, which is I don't know. Like he he's definitely on pace to be a 40% three-point shooter. And you can project that safely, which is real, like one of the taboo things to do as a draft analyst, right? Like you should never project anyone to be a 40% three-point shooter. That guy, I think he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter. And I feel like I'm sa- I feel safe projecting that because he's that good of a shooter. It's like Michael Porter Jr.-esque. He, like, and if you have that combined with his defensive abilities... That's a tough guy to pass up on. The one thing with him, I'm not as confident with the ball in his hands uh, as I am Chet. Like I think Chet uh, has shown more promise there than Jabari. But maybe a team drafts him and thinks he they can they can improve him. They can he can get better at that. I don't know. It, it's tough. It's tough to get get better at playmaking. What I'll say about Chet, and I think I probably made this point a little bit earlier in our conversation. Uh, the Rockets, in my opinion are not at the point where drafting for fit per se is something that's ideal. Like they have, wherever they select in the draft, ultimately with where they are in this rebuild process, I still think that in terms of their own evaluation process and however that evaluation process is, is made by the front office after they get these guys in for workouts and obviously their advanced scouting beforehand and so on and so forth and their conversations with these, with these prospects they still, in my opinion, should probably select who they feel is ultimately has the biggest potential of the group. And what I will say is I think with Chet Holmgren, as of right now, he's probably got the biggest boom potential of any of these players. And so if the Rockets, through their evaluation process, deem that he's the guy with the highest ceiling moving forward, then I would have zero problem with them taking Chet Holmgren over Jabari Smith, if indeed that is what the decision comes down to with wherever with, with wherever they're drafting, you know, um, they're with their first pick uh, in the draft. If indeed comes down to one of those two players or between 
Smith and Bencaro and, and Holmgren, ultimately, if it were me and my evaluation process I, it, with where this team is currently, I still think I would take the player who I view would be the, who has the highest ceiling of, of the group and then live with the consequences because ultimately, again, going back to your initial point about foundational t- players and talents, none of this matters unless you have one or multiple talents like that. None of it matters. So if ultimately, wherever the Rockets are selecting through their evaluation process, if they feel that Chet Holmgren is that guy with the highest ceiling, there's zero problem from where I stand um, in them selecting him there. But again, as somebody who doesn't spend a whole lot of time when it comes to um, this evaluation, I'm just kind of looking at this from a, a Google Earth view, if you will, um, to me, as of right now, it would probably be Smith, but I'm, I'm interested and anxious to, you know, to ultimately see once these guys do have an opportunity to go through um, this process, um, ultimately how that, how that plays out. And uh, again, I think that the front office nailed this new front office nailed this past draft. So I trust their ability to evaluate uh, this talent. And uh, I have full faith and confidence that with wherever they're drafting that ultimately um, you know, they, they will take the player who, in their opinion, probably has the, the highest ceiling of the group. Yeah, you have to. You have to. When you, when you have the worst record in basketball, you, you don't have the luxury <laughs> to draft for fit, right? You just don't. Right. I think, uh, I think it's one of those things where, sure, you could look at, if you believe that two prospects are close in, in talent level or t- are close in ceiling, then perhaps you pick the better fitting player in that situation. But uh, if they believe one guy is clearly ahead of the pack, then they got to select that guy and forget about the better fitting guy. They got to they got to pick the guy who's you know clearly ahead of the rest of the pack. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. But if they think that's the case, you know, I mean, you talk about guys who ha- maybe has the highest who have the highest boom potential. Chat's on that list, but man, so is Paulo. Paulo is uh, one of those guys who are like Jason Tatum esque almost, where like you watch him with the ball in his hands as a ball handler, as a as a creator off the dribble. I, I don't know. I, I, again, I'd be super nervous selecting at the top of this draft. I do not envy <laughs> these general managers uh, because the ch- chances are not all these guys that we're talking about are going to be stars. Chances are right. at least one of these right. guys are going to bust. And you don't want to be the general manager that picks the bust, right? It just, it just, it's so scary. It is so scary. Picking yeah, especially there. with no clear, as you talked about, there's no clear cut. Number one, there doesn't seem to be much of a consensus in terms of how the top five ultimately should slot themselves. No, no, 100%. There's no consensus. There's leanings, right? Like, cer- like certain guys are leaning in one direction, right? Like, I think the consensus is leaning towards Chet and Jabari being in that top two, but it's not hardened, right? Like, Paulo has made this more interesting. I think the consensus is leaning towards maybe Jaden Ivey being in that bottom of the, of the in, in that bottom part of the group, but it's not. It's not consensus. These workouts with these teams. Like normally, I don't think you gain much information from these workouts. I think this tier might be a case where like it's going to be super important to see these guys in your own gym uh, with your own talent evaluators up close in person uh, before you pull that you pull that trigger on the pick. I mean, it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard. But yeah. I, I would I would offer a thorough process, and I'm sure uh, these general managers are going to do the same. Yeah, no question. Yeah, um, but it, it, bottom line is that this is a significantly important draft uh, to the future um, of the organization, organization, and and they're aware of that. Trust me, they're aware of how important this this draft is. And um, I'm, again, I'm confident that they, they'll do the work uh, in terms of trying to um, ultimately evaluate these players to the best of their abilities. And uh, whoever's available, obviously, finding out where they're picking is the next step uh, in, in this entire process. Once the season is over and the, you get through the, the, the draft lottery, that's obviously the next important step. Then you have a little bit more of a, your, your picture becomes a little bit clearer, I guess, a little bit. Once you know what you're actually selecting, um, and then you can start to kind of like figure out, well, who, if there's anybody drafting in front of us, who exactly they might end up taking and so on and so forth. But, uh, but I, I have confidence that, that, um, that they they will ultimately take the player that they they feel is the, the the most talented player at that spot because I think that's what needs to be done at this point. Yeah, and we're, again, we're talking about this as if it's definitive. Like 
the lottery hasn't happened yet. Like, there's a 50% chance that the Rockets drop out of the top five or drop out of the yeah. top four, yeah. and right. they're not selecting right. any of these players. Right. right. And the, the conversation completely shifts in a totally different direction. Completely. So, yeah, yep. that's, the, that's, the next, that's the next step in the process. And then I guess that's why I said it. Then, then it becomes a little bit clearer in terms of who you can sort of um, narrow your focus on um, player-wise. But, yeah, you got to figure out where, where, they're, where they're picking. Uh, obviously, it was a huge relief last summer that they were oh able to keep their pick. Um, that, I mean, it was like, you know, everybody was exhaling um, when, when the lottery progressed and you knew the Rockets were going to be inside the top three. Um, so that was a huge sigh of relief. There's not quite as much drama uh, going into the lottery uh, this go around, but there's drama and it's important. And obviously everybody's hoping that the Rockets can um, uh, secure the highest draft pick that they possibly can. But then once that ultimately is settled, then yes, then I think perhaps there can be some more sort of nuanced conversations about who they should or should not take. Maybe then at that point it becomes a bit more detailed once you know exactly where they're selecting. We don't talk about that enough. Like we don't talk about the fact that like they Jalen Green might not be on this roster had it gone the other way. And yeah, like we're talking about like Shangoon as like the foundational player they came out with, which is obviously a good outcome, but not nearly as good as what it is right now. Right? Correct. And Correct. and it's it's I mean, the Rockets have to thank their lucky stars that the, that it ended up the way they d- it did. And I'm sure uh I'm sure there's going to be some nervous palms, some sweaty palms uh, on lottery night again. It's not going to be the same, though. There's going to be less sweat for sure because you get to keep your pick no matter what. And uh, last year, you could have just ended up not even just falling out of the top five, just falling out of the draft, which is yeah. <laughs> last year, easily the draft easily could have been a complete disaster based on the way that last season ended up going. It would have been a complete kick in the teeth. Uh, based on the way that last season went, to not have been rewarded, if you will, um, with a top pick in the draft. But ultimately, uh, the the lottery gods were were smiling uh, upon the organization. They were to keep their pick. They picked up Jalen Green, and uh, and and hopefully, fingers crossed, um, the rest of this this process moving forward um, will continue to fall in line, and uh, the team can get back to. Uh, contending status sooner rather than later. Yeah, the lottery gods certainly weren't smiling upon Oklahoma City. Oh my God! No, like they, they, no, th- their lottery all, luck last year was terrible. Not only with the Rockets, but like their own pick. Like they fell in the draft. Like it's whatever. I'm getting again. I'm getting off topic. Uh, hey, we had a pretty good conversation about the draft. I, I feel like you carried your own talking about well, these okay, prospects. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel like, you know, you underestimated your ability at, at scouting these guys. You know, you talked a little bit about Chet, talked a little bit about Jabari. Feels like you have cursory knowledge of these guys. Uh, enough to carry a conversation with me, at least. You know, maybe that's not, maybe it's not that impressive. You know, you know I, I, do get, I do get paid by the word, so it is my special thing. <laughs> it's like writing a really long that's essay. A joke. You know, no, no I, I don't get paid by the word. I do not get paid by the word. I wish I got paid by the word, but I don't. That'd be great. I mean, if if we got paid by the word, I mean, some of these articles that I write, like I like five thousand word articles, that'd be great. I mean, I, I would love to get paid by the word. Yeah, um, well, maybe we, should, we. That's something we need to change moving forward. It'd be very difficult, but perhaps maybe we can start the movement now. Need to renegotiate. We need to re- Absolutely. renegotiate those contracts. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I feel like we had a great conversation about these players, about these, uh, about the Rockets in general. Like the bulk of our conversation was actually not about the draft. It was actually about what the Rockets did this season, and I feel like they had a pretty good season, as as both of us agreed. And I think they had uh, yep. a successful uh, outcome at the end of it. And you know, we'll see what they do with the draft. Obviously, that's, that's still a long ways away. But in general, you got to feel pretty good if you're a Rockets fan with the state of things. No question. No question. And thanks for the time as always. I do appreciate it. Always enjoy the conversations. And again, congratulations and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. And where can we find you, by the way, before you head out? Um, you can, uh, AT&T Sportsnet. And I don't, I don't, I'm not as active on Twitter anymore, but you can find me on Twitter at uh, CA underscore Rockets.
Sounds good. Sounds good. And you can find him on the broadcast, 18th Sportsnet. Obviously, uh, yep. he is the full-time play-by-play guy now. Uh, got the promotion this year. He's doing a great job with Ryan Hollins. And uh, we you. appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Always. I appreciate it. Thank you.